We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kearney. Joining us for this episode is Todd Bean. I'm sure everyone is well aware of Todd's work with Tovo and, and coach and player development. He has recently written a book that he's released called Clear Coaching that I would highly recommend you go and check out on Amazon. And this is an interview from the webinar that we did with him last week where he talks about quite a few things, uh, as always, really informative, really passionate and, and really, really powerful with his words. So thanks so much for Todd for coming on. This is the last podcast of the year. And I really appreciate all the support that you've given to Modern Soccer Coach with the webinars, the podcasts, the website, the articles, everything uh, that, you've, that you've helped support throughout the year. I really appreciate it. If you're in a generous mood over the festive break and you would like to support Modern Soccer Coach, our goal is to keep the free content coming. Uh, but in order to do that, we do need a little help. You can help by ordering a copy of the webinar series that we've done throughout the summer. These webinars were on the website for free. There's just trials now. There's just a quick couple of clips. But if you want the full episodes, they can be yours to download. And there's 25 of them for $30. So it just works out at over $1.00 per webinar some unbelievable presentations on a lot of topics please check them out modernsoccercoach.com slash shop if you've enjoyed the work and you want to continue it and you want to continue the free content please please jump on there and get yourself a webinar series for the break so thanks so much here is todd enjoy and uh, todd welcome you're you're the first person to do the hat trick of msc appearances was in the bar live number one I have to drink a beer first <laughs> yeah i don't know whether to, to congratulate you or commiserate you but you're on three times so i would thank you for for your time anyway and now it's great to have you back yeah as always good to see you digitally listen i know uh well thank you one obviously it's always good to to speak with you and to be a guest and i know you know your your seminar series is gonna gonna bring in a lot uh of viewers and probably more so with the other lineup you have because it's fantastic so i appreciate being on the docket uh, and third time, and who knows, the next time we'll be back in person at a bar talking football again, I hope. You to do so, and we know that there are hundreds of thousands of people worldwide that are, are not in a privileged position to be able to talk about coaching and football given the circumstances. So whenever I'm talking about football, I always have to remind uh, myself that we're lucky to be talking football, and maybe that's exactly what we need to be doing during these times with uh, lockdown and isolation and connecting and sharing our stories and and, and becoming better coaches and, and better citizens. So everything comes with the caveat that I know that what's most important is that everybody that's listening, that you take care of your family with prudence and discipline and following protocols, because we will get through this and we will get back on the pitch the way we want to. But until that time, we're just going to delve into a little bit of, of football digitally. So um, thank you. Thank you all for taking the time to join us. 
tonight. Um, I just wanted to share with you, it's a little bit of a, not a departure because it's connected. You know, most of my work has been specifically in the realm of either education and or football specifically. Um, but when I end up sitting down and kind of sharing some thoughts that I want today, it's I don't think they're exclusive to football, to be honest with you. Um, I don't even know if they're exclusive to coaching. And when you write a book, unless you're going to write an international bestseller, which this will not be, you know, War and Peace or uh, one of these bestsellers on the list, you do so not to not to market and make money, but just because you want to throw ideas out that are you've been wrestling with for a while. In coaching, uh, you know, I'm an older coach now. That doesn't mean you're you're an expert. It just means you have more experience to use. I decided to sit down recently and, and, and write that uh, a book about clear coaching. And I did it really for myself to clarify my ideas and try to put into most simple form what I think education is about, what I think uh, coaching is about. And I obviously often, you know, intermingle those two because I think whether you're a classroom teacher, football coach, or, uh, you know, doesn't matter what, what you're coaching, really, musician, uh, coaching children. I think that I wanted to clarify this and refine the process so that I could keep focused myself as I go into my, you know, older years now on what's most important. And to do so, we just decided to focus on clarity. What, what, what do I need to be clear about as a coach? And ultimately came away with four, kind of a four-step process. And that, that came down to clarity of purpose. I'll come back to that. Clarity of expectations. Clarity of actions. And then clarity of leadership. And I do so in that order because I start with clarity of purpose and I speak to something that uh, Simon Sinek in, in, in his best-selling book speaks to often and others have about our why. And it's the first thing I do in any of our workshops with our coaches is just come together and say, why are we coaching? You know, there's a million things we could do. Why would we be crazy enough to, to talk football, to jot down notes, to deal with parents and to go out in the pitch and put ourselves in vulnerability? You know, wh why is that? And invariably in workshops I've done now with probably over you know, 1,500 coaches worldwide from Christchurch to California, nobody has ever said their why is a win or a loss, right? Of all of us as coaches, not once, not once of, of those number of coaches has the highest priority been top of the table, right? And so that becomes interesting. What is clear is that coaches will say, I coach to share my passion. I coach to instill a sense of opportunity for my players, I coach to share the values that can be elicited through sport. I coach for the camaraderie. I coach for my, the children's relationships that they have with one another that we have together and we can go off to have with opponents and families, you know, in our competition schedule. So it's interesting that when we speak about sport, nobody writes down results. And so we're very close and common in our why. There's a harmony amongst us as coaches. And that harmony is we coach for the children. And I say children, I'm old enough. So that even if it's young adults, you know, college players are still children to me. I have a 27-year-old, so everybody under that age is a child, all right? Um, and so that, that's encouraging that as much difference as we may have by the way that we coach or the how that we coach or the tactical systems or the level or whether it's Christchurch or California, we have a very core common purpose, which is we coach for the young athletes in our charge. And that is so crystal clear. Now, how does that con get convoluted when we get in a competition? Well, I know that I've lost that purpose. Not that purpose. I, I know it was there, but I, I lost sight of that, let's say. And I really believe that when we lose sight of our why, we lose our way. 
When we lose our why, we lose our way. And I, on many occasions, probably have been victim in doing that. And so that's clarity of purpose. Taking the time just to jot down that clarity. The second is clarity of expectations. Now, if you go out to train, I don't even know how we would start to train if I didn't know what the expectations are. I'll use football, of course, for your, this broadcast. But what type of player am I trying to nurture? What type of person, student athlete, am I trying to nurture? What is really the expectation that we have collectively? What is my pact and my promise to them? Will I build their character? Will I build their competencies? And which ones? Will I build, build their intelligence? And how so? And what intelligence do we refer to? So in football, you can get into great detail about that. Uh, but again, we're back to the simplicity of and, and what we came to is that we were going to develop players of great cognition, competence, and character. So that intelligence and the character are, are basically the bookends. And we're going to be football specific in our competencies. But those can change out. Those can math, science, history, art, all these other wonderful endeavors. But if you have a sense of what character we want to build as coaches, that's important. We have a sense of what intelligence means to be perceptive, to work with an environment, to be able to thrive in that environment, and to be able to do so in cooperation and competition with others, respectfully. These are important concepts. These are not just football concepts. So I say that the, the cognitive, the intelligence, and the character are, are completely uh, uh, the strong, strong foundations of these bookends in which we can place the competencies, kicking a ball, passing a ball, shooting a ball, overlaps, underlaps, throw-ins, who knows, right? So it starts to gain traction when I know my purpose and I have clarity of the expectations to the point that you make a student rubric, you make an athlete rubric. What is it that they will learn with you during this month, this season, this four-year career they have with you at the collegiate level? What is your promise to them that you will work toward? And we call that the ideal athlete. So we define the ideal. And with those two in place, the purpose, our why, and defining the idea, we can make a next natural progression into training that ideal. But I think you see here that if we start to train without really knowing what we're training and why we're training and what the overarching purpose is, we can just start pounding nails and build something that we don't have an idea of what it is, what it should look like, and when we're finished. So I can pound nails all day in the proverbial football. I can do drills and drills and drills and kicking and shooting and heading. But what am I really doing? Well, I'm really doing, if I step back, I'm trying to nurture children and I'm trying to promote learning and joy. And to do so, I believe that we can nurture the intelligence, the competence and the character of a player. It starts to frame the architecture. Now I can start to think about which nails with which tools and which devices do I start to put that architecture together. So that gives me clarity when I go to act, clarity of actions. So I train the ideal because I've defined the ideal and I know that ultimately my job is to nurture children toward that ideal, players toward that ideal, student athletes toward that ideal. And then ultimately the onus comes back to me. Now I can be a practice uh, what I say, but not what I do, you know, type of coach. Like, I want you to be respectful, but you don't see me being respectful on the sidelines or to the opponents or shaking hands, but you should, right? You know, we should be committed to our academic studies, but I'm not a lifelong learner, but I expect my players to be. We talk about commitment and time. We want our players to be punctual, but we're not punctual. All of these things that have to do with modeling leadership. And I think the best leadership is silent leadership because that's the one that the players see. That's the one that resonates with them. And then when you speak, you speak with purpose to inspire and to instruct. But it's your leadership through your silence that is 
resonating with players because they watch you. They watch your actions. They watch us as leaders, and we need to model that. So we take these four pieces, and we have so, all of a sudden we've harnessed clarity to drive development. I don't say that guess I'm trying to harness clarity and drive development. I don't say that because I perfected it. I'm just trying to frame it in my own mind. How can I harness clarity to drive another individual's development? I'm actually going to try to maximize another person's potential. Not only is that a noble cause, it is an incredibly challenging cause. My gosh, you have the burden and the responsibility, but also the opportunity to affect change in another person's life. That's, that's substantial stuff. That's significant. So with clarity of purpose, I'm anchored to my why. With clarity of expectations, we make a pact and promise with one another, teacher to student, coach to player, team. When I start to then act upon that, I have clarity of action because I train to that idea. I train to the promise that I've made to my players. I train to the pact that we have to work toward that idea. And the fourth would be, I have to then go ahead and actually model the ideal. Now that's the hardest part, right? Mm -hmm. I have to model the ideal. I have to sleep well. I have to eat well. I have to be fit. I have to take care of my family. I have to do all the things that are positive and purposeful so that I can model that to my players ideally so that they see that these aren't just words, but these are actions and that leadership requires action and behavior and that behavior is important. And so I have clarity of leadership because I'm going to attempt to model the ideal. And when I do not, or I fail, or I fall off that ideal wagon, I apologize. I take accountability because I show that I'm human and I'm fallible and I too will make mistakes. Uh, a word that wasn't appropriate, uh, a handshake that wasn't as genuine, uh, a, a situation where I might have handled it better because we have to model our failures as well as we model our successes. And so that's really critically important. You can't be a perfect coach, but you can be a, be a genuine and authentic and a purposeful coach if you have this ability to set your ego aside and recognize you're part of the equation. And that vulnerability is actually going to allow your players to see that you are human. Clarity of purpose, clarity of expectations, clarity of action, and ultimately clarity of leadership. And that's what this book explores. And I don't know if that has anything to do with football. To me, it does at Tovo and the Academy and the players and every player I've ever worked with, I realized I might have been probably much better had I had this clarity of purpose, clarity of action connected in such a, a harmonious way that there would have never been any doubt with any of my players why we were doing what we were doing, how we were going to do that, and how we were going to do that together. Now, I, like, you know, like everybody, has failed miserably on occasion. Um, and more so probably as a younger coach when I didn't take the time to clarify that. So I wanted to address tonight any questions, football, coaching, education. Um, you know, I'm from the Northeast of the United States, so you can call foul. You can call BS, nonsense. You can challenge these ideas. Anything is fair game, Gary. Um, so let's just open it up. But I really want to see it, it, it. Does that resonate with us as coaches or is it just a crazy distinct notion within football or just within the way that I see our responsibility? Because there may be other factors that are well beyond that that we should discuss or, or challenge today. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, questions are starting to roll in. Before we get going at them, I, I want to I want to put my one forward. So. The, the way, obviously, is it's starting. We're, I think we're starting to become a bit better just knowing some people in coach education going through the process. Even even athletic directors, Todd, they're starting to to see the, the same. You know, they have to be fulfilled to do something. So we're trying to get people in that way. But I suppose what, what I want to ask is, 
is the challenge of getting that why or understanding your why and writing it down and and then the pressure or the judgment that engulfs us as coaches on that sideline and all of a sudden and our way is so far away like how do we keep our way close on game day or high pressure situations it's it's, it's a great question because i've been that person right <laughs> anybody that's that knows me from a young year there have been those moments you know a good relationship with players we were successful but believe me i'm sure there's a few refs that are you know thinking wow he should have studied this a lot a long, lot longer ago. Um, it's normal. It's the heat of competition. It's also what attracts us to sport, right? That heat of competition that we will outplay you. And in the heat of the battle, there's some energy, there's some friction, and there's something positive that can come from that. That doesn't justify my behavior on occasion, and it doesn't justify our behavior when we're not modeling that best. To be fair, I'll get, you know, I think I mentioned this before, you know, really practical. I just started thinking, you know, reflecting, you know, was that my best self, right? And then I think I could rationalize it as a younger coach. Yeah, well, you know, that's because the referee was this or the opponent wasn't respectful. So why do I need to be respectful? You know, the Democrats are this way, the Republicans are that way. So that justifies my behavior. That's all nonsense. You know, when you go back and say, was that my best self? And I would want my own children, if I, ha if I, if I have them, which I do, all six of them, that I would want them to see me in that moment. Is that the kind of person I want to be for our most vulnerable young people, whether they're our own children or the children that might be watching at the college game or in the stands or on TV, right? And so when I ask that question, you say, okay, no, what do I have to do about it? Well, then I have to come up with all sorts of devices to make sure that I don't slip back into that. And there was a defining moment, literally one season, I thought, you know what? I'm successful, but I don't think we're successful because I'm yelling at a referee or getting upset or telling kids what to do in every act and every moment. I don't, I, I don't even think that's necessarily true. Maybe there'd be something else that would come from the players on the pitch if I just shut up. So I tried it. I just put myself in an experiment. I literally brought apples and bananas. I, I told the story probably a hundred times. I literally kept the state of Washington apple industry you know, economically profitable for an entire season. And I told my assistant coach, just pass, keep passing me the fruit. When I stand up, pull me on the backside. When I go to say something stupid or lose myself, go ahead and shove this in my mouth. And I literally, I literally went through probably bushels and bushels because it was a silly little strategy I needed to sit down and shut up. And what happened was my players took the protagonistic role. And ironically, it's not statistically relevant, but ironically, that season, we went to our first state final with me shutting up. I just had built up everything, believing that I was such a protagonist without me barking instructions and putting pressure on the referee and being this, you know, win at all cost person that my players would just flail without me. Well, they flourished because I shut up and I focused on my training and preparation and I let them enjoy the game. I heard my captain's voice. I saw the leadership out of the midfield. I saw them resolve the issues. And I bring in points, but those points were pertinent and purposeful and not pathetic. And that was on me. Mm. I just want to, you know, help others prevent that journey if possible and try to realize that when you speak, others can't. And sometimes that's what your captain should be doing, for example. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I told you this, Todd. I don't think I've been talking to you since this. I... Met Sky, obviously, up at the, I think this was February, just before the lockdown, and uh, had a meal with her and Stuart. Talked about, so Callie was with her, because it was at a conference, 
Yeah. Kelly was just back from a few months at at Tovo, so I was like, oh, I'm all over this. So kind of tell me about it, and I want to. I like I love hearing things from players' perspective. Obviously, she said good things, but the 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 thing I really liked was was the lifestyle part, the make your lunches, the responsibility, the part around the walk to the field and get your mental preparation. Um, whenever, and, and just I'm asking you this here because we've had a coach who's asked on the, on, this, on the chat, how do you measure the behavior? I suppose putting these demands on the players, when you say demands on the players, everyone then thinks you're the emotional person doing this on the pitch. But how much do you put these around, these disciplines around what you do? And how important do you think they are? Yeah, I don't. I don't think character is the poster that you have to tap before you go to the training ground, right? That's nice for the. That's nice for Hollywood. You know, character is every detail, every word, and every act that you take when you're in the presence of another person. And so we're very intentional at Tovo. Granted, we have them here in a residential program. Cali was part of that, so we're eating together, we're walking together, we're training together. Uh, if we're ill, one of us is ill. We have birthdays together. We've lost uh, family members from a distance together, grandparents that passed. So we are really in this hypersensitive environment, which only puts more onus upon the leadership to set this right. The first thing we do day one when they arrive, other than welcome them, putting their bags in, is we get in a circle. And we let each of us say who we are and why we're here and what our aspirations are. And it sets the tone that, I'm here, Oscar's here, my nutritionist is here, my physical physio's here, and the entire staff is here to help you realize your aspirations. We're going to do our part and you do your part. We're going to walk together, we're going to eat together, we're going to clean up after ourselves because it's more than about football, it's about character, and character extends well beyond. And I would argue that if you get the meal right, and if you get the cleanup, and your bed is made, and you've brushed your teeth, and you walk together, you are prepared for success, and otherwise... Uh, you might not be. Now, are these details measurable? I think they are. We hold, we, we have six characteristics, you know, ambition and dedication and respect and resilience that we use. And in every conversation where we might have wandered from that path, we talk about it and bring players back to that path. Hey, you were frustrated. You didn't shake hands. Go shake hands. Why? Because we're committed to being respectful. Shaking hands even when you lost even more so perhaps when you lost with our coaches and our coaching courses, we workshop with our players and we talk about it and we wrestle in it. Is ambition important? When does ambition become a detriment to your character as opposed to a complimenting your journey? So we, and these are, these are kids. We've done this. You'd be amazed how smart these kids are, how intelligent they know what the ideal is. They don't need a long list of 50 things they shouldn't do. That's for the lawyers to write. And then you have to sign them the dotted line. They'll make, their own ideal. And then we just make sure that as a team in a circle, we listen to each other's story. Why are we here? I want to play college. I want to play pro. My dream is to play in camp. No, my dream is to make friends and go back and be a musician. You have a boy that just got into Haverford college because he wants to be a doctor and he's going to play some soccer along the way because he loves it. So if you listen to the children, they will tell you their why, why are you here? Why are you at this club? Why are you playing with here? Why are you still playing? You're 16, 17, 18. Why are you starting to play? You're 12. It doesn't matter what age they are. Every child knows their own story. We just have to listen to it and then share that. Well, while we're sharing the story together for this season, can we all agree that we're working toward this ideal? And that becomes your expectations. Mm -hmm. 
right? That becomes the expectation. You will learn principles of play. You will learn position play, but you also learn what it means to be respectful, even in those difficult moments when you'd prefer not to be. Mm. All of it's articulated. All of it's on this literal, you know, our Tovo 3C player. And we all sign in. And we, when we commit to that, then we hold each other accountable, including them holding me accountable. Thank you so much for watching the content at Modern Soccer Coach. If you would like to support what we're doing and help us provide more free coaching education with the webinars and the podcasts and everything else, please take a look at this offer that we have from the webinars over the summer. Coaches can now download every single webinar tactical presentation that we did from the lockdown period over the summer. Just over $1 per webinar, you can personally download all 25 webinars that will be yours to keep. Each webinar is over one hour long and features a detailed presentation followed by live Q&A with the coaches in attendance. We cover topics such as youth and elite player development, sports science, tactical analysis, match preparation, goalkeeper pressing and other key specific areas. We had coaches such as Jesse Marsh, Nolan Sheldon, Ivan Beregi, Adin Osman Basic, Oliver Gage, Jonas Munkfall, Kat Smith, John Wall and many more. ModernSoccerCoach.com slash shop. You can go there, get yours now, support Modern Soccer Coach, help us provide free content with our webinars and podcasts throughout the year. Thank you. All right. Derek Johnson's asked a question for Todd. In clarity of expectations, you speak about creating a player uh, rubric. What does that entail and look like for you? Well, it's, 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 you know, the question is really prompted by the one I mentioned in the book, which is, Define the ideal. You can do this in, 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 in 10 minutes. Take out a blank piece of paper and define the ideal. Now, don't name people. What are the ideal characteristics? And then start to play with that. Put them in buckets. What we did is we did the same workshop for ourselves and our staff and through the years. Uh, and we said, listen, what we noticed is that there's some of those traits, vision, perception, scanning, creativity, things that we thought uh, reading the game things that we thought fell under the bucket of cognitive prowess, right? Perception and, and deception, these variables. So we put that under the bucket of cognition and we came up with six words that we want to focus on. Then we recognize some of them are competencies like passing, ball control, receiving, shooting, principles of play, angles, distance, timing, lines, uh, play the way you face, these variables. And we recognize those are the competencies specific to football that aren't going to help you if you go into architecture, math, science, or music. They're specific to the domain and they're not transferable. And then we came to most words that had to do with character. Matter of fact, every time I've done this workshop worldwide, there are more words associated with character. Now I've kind of ruined it for you because if you do the exercise, you're now you know, biased. But just do it. More words had to do with ambition, dedication, resilience, cooperation, respect, these types of words. And that's interesting because most coaches in these workshops put more emphasis on the character of the individual than they do on kicking a ball. Now, that's either just crazy talk or from Christchurch to California, it must mean that we're in the business of building character while we're kicking a ball in the back of the net. And so what we did to conclude is this. We have a 3C footballer model, cognition, competence, and character. Each has six items more or less under them. And we train like dogs to master that. And we will never master it. But every player knows it. Every coach knows it. Every training is, con is contributing to that journey toward that ideal. And when we fall off that, for whatever reason, we get ourselves back onto that page, literally back onto that page 
ask why we fell off, what went wrong, or how we could make it better. And we come back to, are we nurturing in every exercise? And I mean every except for water break, cognition, competence, character. And if we are, we're on a better path than if we have to rationalize some exercises that take out the cognitive development or take out the character development or isolate a skill at the expense of perception, action, coupling. Every exercise in our portfolio, in our minds, and our litmus test and with our mandate has to nurture a player of great cognition, comps, and character. And although it may look good on a website or I can download it, and I don't even care if Jurgen Klopp used it, right? It's going in the bin. And I don't care if Marco Bielsa used it. That's great for him. But for our mandate and our promise for our players, I respect those amazing people. But for our purpose and for our pact, it's not relevant. So we're going to go with what works for us. Every exercise is cognition, comps, and character. That's the rubric. We work toward it, and we do so at 100% intensity, 100% of the time, with the exception of water breaks and birthday parties. Brilliant. Um, what happens, someone asking there about leadership, whenever you're, uh, say you're a director and you're overseeing not just players, obviously coaching staff as well, let's say five, two, three of your coaches, how many it is, have a different way and it doesn't align with, you know, listen, I've won five high school championships. That's what I do. Give me my monthly paycheck. Get me get on with it. How do you maneuver around that there as a, as a club coach or a club director? Yeah. yeah, so so there's one high school varsity coach and I guess the principal of the school hires him or her. So that's their responsibility. If you work in a club, I think people have to go find a club or a, somebody that'll let you do whatever you want. You're not going to work at Barcelona. And you're not going to work at Ajax ever. Those coaches are highly qualified people and they don't get to do whatever they want because they won an under 12 championship in Iowa at the showcase number 452 of 7,032 that are run throughout the country at the premier under six level, right? It's just ridiculous. My colleague, Oscar worked 10 years at Barcelona he doesn't get to do whatever he wants. He does what Barcelona says. He trains in the Barcelona methodology, what Paco determines, what the director of methodology determines. So I'm pretty harsh on this. If I have a club, we train the way that we train. And if you don't want to train the way we train, then there's a lot of other clubs that will let you do whatever the hell you want because most clubs don't have a methodology. And if they do on paper, they don't implement it. So you can easily find a job. And if not, go to a high school because somebody will hire you. So the point I'm saying is that when you are in a club, I believe the club determines what the methodology is. And your job is to hone your ability to execute that methodology with precision and with passion so that every child in the club benefits from your instruction. And if you can't deal with that, you know, go to LA Galaxy and, or the San Jose or LAFC across town, wherever the traffic go, whatever they call it, and find somebody that will. And that's okay. It's okay to say, I don't want to be part of this Barcelona methodology, but then don't go there. I don't mm -hmm. want to be a Montessori school teacher, then I shouldn't go apply to a Montessori school. And when the Montessori director tells me that I'm fired because I'm doing long lectures in a hands-on learner-centric curriculum, I shouldn't be shocked. Mm -hmm. I should be thankful to the director say, thank you. Do you have any recommendations where I can stand up and lecture for two hours? Well, you can go to the school down the road. But at Montessori school, we teach our methodology. So it's not just football. I think that every organization has a way that things are done here. 
And each coach needs to determine whether that's the place that they want to work. And if they do, then the club has the onus to support them and educate them like hell so that they become better at their craft. And then we as a club become a cradle of coaches and those coaches go on to take on leadership positions. And when they go, we don't, uh, I'm speaking Spanish in my head. We don't um, punish them. We celebrate their success. I think we need to be, as a club, a cradle of players and a cradle of coaches. And when we get that under one roof, under one methodology and one logo, that's where you get a Barcelona. That's where you get an Ajax. That is where you get the top academies in the world committing to the methodology that's determined by the club and not by the individual coach. So I'm quite harsh. I yeah. think you're fired. I think you got to go find somewhere else. Perfect. And that's okay. Yeah. You probably want to be somewhere else if you don't believe in our methodology. And that's okay. We still be friends and have a beer. But when you go coach football, you're going to have to do it at the club across town. Mm. Is that too harsh, Gary? Oh, I like that. I like that. It's good. Um, Mandy's that's, that's a little bit of Scottish blood coming out of me. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Mandy's asked question of the day here. Um, every year seems like a reset with our older kids. They go from high school to club, purpose, expectations, leadership seems to go away. Any advice on continuing with clarity as they go through four years of this cycle? Yeah, so, you know, a one, you know, it's a great question. A one, you, you, that's what you can provide if you're a coach is clarity of those four points within your own uh, ecosystem, which is maybe your team. Maybe you don't have an opportunity to collaborate, right? If you do get a chance to collaborate, then maybe that school has clarity and consistency and coherency for four years or the club has it for 10 years but that's those places are far and few between so when we think of the learner i think it's important to provide as much consistency in expectation as possible even if their journey is a little bit more incoherent relative to the entire organization if that makes sense. So I went to public school and I went from you know first to sixth and then middle school and high school my high school was chaotic, you know, and so I had to find as a player, the onus was upon me to find consistency and clarity. And so we can train players to go through the same process so that they find clarity of their purpose, even if the world around them is not on the same page, that they can find clarity of the expectations they hold themselves to. And by extension, the personal leadership that they would like to exhibit, even, even if they're in an environment which is not inherently coherent, they can be consistent in their actions and in their achievements and in their aspirations. And I think that's an amazing tool and capacity to instill in a player. How do you maintain clarity as a player when your club around you has none? Wow. That's a player that I think is probably doing better during this pandemic than a player that hasn't had that capacity built in. Because when the world is literally crumbling, crumbling around you, how do we maintain that clarity of purpose with optimism? How do we maintain that expectation that we will be okay and I will take care of my family and I will train by myself or in a pod or <laughs> wherever I possibly can because I have a purpose and I'm gonna model the behavior I expect from others in me, even though nobody's watching. If you can instill that clarity in your player, regardless of the environment in which they are, you have probably given them a tool for life that they will appreciate and benefit from exponentially beyond the training ground. Mm. And that's ultimately what educators do. It's not about math, English, literature. It's not about that. 
Of course it's about that. It's not about soccer, one, four, three, three, pressing high, low block, mid block, you know, two, one, VAR. It's not about that if you work with youth. Are you maximizing their potential by promoting learning and joy? Do you have a metric in place to measure that? And when that metric, as Gary mentioned, comes back from the players and suggests that you have, go have a beer. And when they point holes in your belief, listen to them. There's truth in that critique. And figure out, do you have a sense of self to model what it'll take to be better next season? You know, it's not rocket science, but it is the type of science and art that hits so close to home that it's probably more challenging in many ways than rocket science, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's personal. So I think if you're instilling this in a player, you probably are already admired as an amazing coach, even if you're a mid-table coach. Right. It, it, and Gary, I'll just include with this because I, I say this and it's come back to me in a couple of questions recently is that can you imagine if the only journey that was worth taking the season at the collegiate level was awarded to the champions who lay up the cup? Can you imagine if Columbus, for example, was the only journey worthwhile taking? That means that Bob Bradley's group or uh, any other group, for example, LAFC, Orlando or anywhere else or uh, Jesse Marsh over here, you know, over here in Europe, you know, it only counts if you win and everybody else's journey is worthless. That's how ludicrous it is to think that, that metrics of winning and losing are the most important. That means you're saying that the champions had a worthwhile journey toward mastery of character, mastery of cognition, and mastery of competence, but only those 20 players that lift the cup. And everybody else in the league might, have well, might as well just you know, wasted their time because they learned nothing. It's ludicrous. Mm -hmm. And yet we perpetuate that ridiculous nature of sport down into youth ranks where it really, really causes damage to these children who drop out because we've lost our purpose. Brilliant. Do you think that, uh, I mean, uh, the whole lockdown and the whole COVID year will, will be looked at as a, as a really rough, tough experience for, for so many of us. Do you think that as coaches, there are positives that can come out of it from learning to maybe communicate remotely with players or, or facilitate different forms of learning? Or how do you think we've, we're going to move or we've got the potential to move in a positive way through that? Yeah, I, you know, as your listeners may or may not know, I'm married to Chantal Kreif, so my six children are young Kreif's grandchildren, and we use his quote during this pandemic so many times, although he's, he's passed away years ago. Johan said, every disadvantage has an advantage. Are you going to find it? Hmm. Are you going to find it? My children didn't will upon themselves a pandemic. They're going to have to find some advantage out of this disadvantageous situation and honor the, uh, the grandfather, but honor themselves. So I think, yes, there are many amazing number of positives that can come out of uh, death and destruction and that, that, that it was beyond our control. And that is, did you have time? I wrote a book. It took me four, you know, it took me like four weeks and 40 years to write it. <laughs> I might not have ever written it yeah. if I wasn't confined here. So, I mean, that's not earth shattering. I wrote a book, right? Right. Big deal. But the point is I try to model. I said, listen, I'm going to do that. And so, well, you know, we got a book, you know, it's not war and peace. It's not going to be, and I'm not like the next Maya Angelou. Let's be honest with ourselves. But, but these ideas are going out to the universe and we're talking about them. Mm -hmm. And they came out of my reflection that was forced upon me 
by not going on the training ground every day. So yes, I think every disadvantage has an advantage. The question is, you know, do you find it? That's that's a powerful one there. Um, Mike has jumped in with a soccer question. There we go. Uh, he's talking about attacking play or defending play. Is this something that you work on specifically with your sessions or is it just part of the positional game training methodology? No, everything's attacking, defending, because we always train in context. From the rondo, which is attacking and defending, to position play exercises, which is attacking defending, to training games, which are attacking defending. In fact, that's what I'm trying to scream across the pond back to my friends in the United States is we need to attack and defend all the time if we want players who understand how to attack and how to defend in context. So, yeah, every exercise in our portfolio has attacking and defending. There are no exercises that in which we do not attack and defend. So, yeah, it's a great question. I'm... 100% behind attacking defending. And then we can talk about yeah. the ways in which we can exploit space, find it, and exploit it. But ultimately, every exercise in our portfolio is about attacking and defending. And you have responsibilities on both sides of the balls and the transitions in between. Yeah, it's a great question. But on that, do you get frustrated with getting not tagged or maybe associated with the fact that it's all about the rondo when it's clearly that like you can see the passion that you're trying to communicate. Even when you post, you're, you're trying to get a point across. You're obviously frustrated with certain parts of the game in certain areas and, and, and certain places in the world, uh, like the U.S. Do you think that we sometimes generalize Spanish football as, well, it's the Rondo. Let's bring that over here and we'll just be, if we did 4v2s, like, does that frustrate you at all? Yeah, it's not about the rondo. That's why I say it's not. I don't need a rondo. I mean, I, you know, it's not about that. It's not about whether the U.S. believes it is. I believe the game is multidirectional. A rondo is an activation exercise. You want to know how much time it takes in our training session? Uh, Twelve minutes. We do four minutes of rondo, four minutes of mobility, four minutes of rondo, four minutes of stability, four minutes of rondo, four minutes of dual force. We're ready to go. We do it because. At the older ages, you need to activate the body, you act, act, activate the mind, and you activate your, your, your technical actions. And so it's cognitive activation, it's character activation, and it's competence activation. It's 24 minutes, and we're ready to go into a greater cognitive load, greater physical load. And with younger children, we know and not do a run, though. The bulk of our training is training games. So we reverse engineer. What are we going to do with our training games today? From that, what are we going to do with our position play exercise? And then let's go ahead and activate them through the run, though. It's just when I hear people, you know, try to make a rondo more than it is, it's frustrating. Or I hear a federation dismiss it because it's not directional. It's ludicrous to think that it's not directional. It's multidirectional, which is what the game is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a little absurd to think that I've got to line them up and go laps for 20 minutes and a lecture for 20 minutes and technical skills in lines for 20 minutes. You put a coach through their own traditional training and most of them will quit after 15 minutes. They don't even put up with their own BS. So it's frustrating because that's not the way children learn. If we want to maximize learning, we have to maximize their intelligence, their competence, and their character. And whenever we're not doing that, we are not maximizing their potential. It's not about the best. It's about better than the other alternative. It's a triage. If I do not activate the intelligence of a player, how do I expect them to master intelligence? How do I expect them to find space if I've lined them up and told them to do a circuit drill? It's just not pedagogically sound. And it's not even sound with the visions of the greatest coaches like a Johan Cruyff, who intuitively knew this, right? Ask them. He said, I want to see my players laughing, mm. even to the physio, you know, at the highest level. 
right? And then you see the beautiful football that he played and winning football quality and results. Is it a romantic vision? Yes. But what other vision is there in sport if it's not romantic? What do I want to tell my kids? Well, let's not go for, you know, let's just kind of tamper down a little bit. Let's lower expectations so then we can meet them. Let's not have you think today because I don't think you can think. How far down will we dummy our expectations for children through mindless drills and then expect them to miraculously perform for us in this transactional relationship on a weekend and then criticize them when they don't play intelligently. Mm. The only way that you play intelligently is when you train intelligently. And we as coaches determine that because the last time I checked, the players don't make the training session. So if we do not train intelligently, we cannot expect intelligent players to emerge. You nurture what you train. Any rationalization that divorces perception and action is a rationalization that prejudices your child to be able to perceive and act under pressure in context in a uniform on the weekend. Why would you do it? Well, the beautiful news is you don't. I don't care what your federation says, Scottish, Croatian, you know, English, you don't. Those people aren't necessarily educators. Look at the etymology of a federation. How many of them know as much about teaching as someone like Doug Lamov? Would I rather learn how to maximize the potential from a master teacher or somebody that played the game at the highest level? I want knowledge and the know-how to teach. And when you bring those two things together, when you bring those two elements together, then you are really working toward mastery as a coach. And anytime you think, well, because I'm good at X's and O's, it doesn't really matter if I'm a good, you know, if I'm good with my players, if I maximize their potential because I can go to a conference and show you how to do a low block, it, it's, it's BS. We're only good coaches if learning has been nurtured. That's our metric. We're only inspiring coaches if joy has been part of this process. Learning and joy. Because we're in sport. We're not going to a coal mine to work, are we? Those people that make that sacrifice for their families. We're going to play a sport. And if we can somehow, somehow in some concoction through conferences and federations make sport not fun and not one that maximizes players, then we've done something significantly awry. And so, yeah, I'm critical. I'm excited. I'm optimistic because there are more coaches out there that are open and particularly young coaches. They're saying, yeah, listen, we don't have to do what Todd Bean says, but I'm going to think about it. We don't have to do what Pep says, but maybe there's some wisdom there. Klopp, these, you know, maybe it's the high school teacher that you had. Maybe for me, it was an English teacher that told me to, taught me to articulate an argument. The point being is great educators come in every shape, size, color, creed, gender, et cetera, et cetera. We want more of them dialoguing to perfect the craft so that we can take accountability ourselves for being a craftsperson, an educator. And if we do that, ironically, you know what happens? You end up working your way up the table. But that success has come from a focus on your purpose. I can, I can, I could probably go to South Carolina, Gary, and probably win or come pretty darn close to it to win the under 13, you know, state cup. I, I you know, I would put my money uh, where my mouth is. You want to know what I do? I just go pick the kids that are January born and I go pick the kids that have matured early and I run like dogs and I press like dogs and I kick the ball in the back of the net because my kids are bigger and stronger and faster. I feed my ego 
And the Chavis and the Edistas and the Christ and the Maradonas rest in peace. Where are they? Right? Where are they? They're lost unless we value the complete, total athlete, a player of great cognition, competence, and character. And that's our primary purpose, to nurture learning and joy. Mm. Cantona, I had a great quote there talking about Maradona. It was along the lines of like another reason or another way, way of falling out of love with a game, something along that line, like another person that it, it seems that we're not, especially over here, we're moving towards, you mentioned a transactional approach, which is obviously, again, another thing you mentioned was the, the vulnerability of a player that went through your program, open, opening up, yeah, stepping outside their comfort zone. It's all, you almost need that vulnerability piece for someone to trust you and, and grow together. But it's hard, Todd, in this industry over here. Um, you know, how does a coach kind of sift through that parent section, that money section? How do you be swim against the tide a little bit? Because I, I, like, I completely agree with you. I think a lot of young coaches are, are seeing, especially what you're doing and saying, I want to go in that direction. But they get punched in the face 10 times a week with it. Uh, what's yeah. your advice for them? I think you have to start to think about the best way that you can nurture relationships. And that should be your primary purpose before you get in a low block. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. I'll give you a real, I did it, I did it as a high school coach in Lake Tahoe, California, right? So we had one kid that we were able to get into college. The rest of them, you know, we had Olympic skiers, but, you know, and we still played soccer along the way, right? So I want to give perspective. This was not an MLS, we didn't even have the MLS academies back then, but it wasn't ECNL or, or GA or anything else. It was, there was another structure. There was no money in the game. This is what we did. When you recognize that a parent is the most important person in the player's life, you need to respect that, you need to honor that, and you need to nurture a relationship with parents as much as you do with the players, in my opinion. I know that's crazy. So what I do, I also recognize that parents are the biggest pain in the butt when they get derailed and start talking to you about a low block instead of the things that they should be worried about, which is the student-athlete development of their child, the academic and athletic development of their child. So, and that's real, and you mentioned it. Screaming up and down the silent, et cetera, et cetera. But when we say clarity of expectations, I don't just mean for the players and my staff. I mean for the parents. So I literally have a workshop with the parents. And in peacetime, I mean, before the season start, we actually workshop this and say, this is what we're trying to do. When you, they believe that you are acting in the best interest and you are clear to them about why you're doing what you're doing and what you're doing and how you're going to do it. And you show that you know a lot more than they do at the end of the day. And you channel their energy into something else. It's like Houdini. Channel their energy into what they should and get them on nutrition. Major issue in the United States. Get them on sleep protocols. Get them on the academic regimen. Get them on the things that they should be controlling instead of the low block. You win them. You win them over and say, hey, we're in this together. Will you agree to take care of sleep, nutrition, and arriving on time and everything, health and well-being of your child and the love and support that you give them, win, lose, or draw? Because that's enough. I'll try to make them a better footballer, and I will feed off of that love and that support so that I do that. Now, what do you have to do? Hold parent meetings. Tell them. Share them. I have a WhatsApp today from people four years ago that left Tovo. We're still doing college advising just off the cuff. We just got one. We celebrate. I can show you. I won't show you because it's ours, but it's a family of people that have never met one another. Birthday today. Sam had a birthday today. Samantha had a birthday today. 30 other parents. Awesome. Pictures of cakes and whistles and emojis out the wazoo. Why? Because the first time I speak with parents, it's about nurturing their child's development. The second time and the third time. And then, here's a little trick, don't tell the parents this, 
give them something else. So when I was a young coach in California, or actually it was in Nevada side there, Lake Tahoe, I said, Wednesdays, we're going to have spaghetti dinners. And so you put the parents on hosting spaghetti dinners. That took all of their energy. I never had another phone call because then they could just battle about spaghetti dinners and they started figuring out who could outdo another spaghetti dinner and they took pride and then they started bitching about who made the best spaghetti and I'm like awesome because we're getting spaghetti for free every Wednesday I was a teacher making nothing a stipend for like $600 for coaching and I channeled their energy into something that really would leave me the freedom don't tell the parents that because I might use it again in the future when I come to Seaches I'm looking around because there's no parents here and I got my whatsapp off I send them for red wine and tapas Right. They can come to the field, but wouldn't you rather go for red wine and tapas? So you recognize that you have to negotiate these relationships so that the energy is a positive one. The energy that they put into the process is one that is actually productive and not counterproductive. And then use every trick in the trade to channel their energy into what they should be focusing on, which, as I mentioned, is not your 4-3-3, you know, uh, attacking play this weekend. Fantastic. You got to you got to put in the work with the parents. Yeah. They just don't go away. Would you want that? Would you want your parents to go away? No. You're going to have to negotiate those relationships, Gary, because it's foolish to think that they should not be part of the most important precious being on this planet to them, which is the child that you're coaching. I know because I've six. I don't get in the coach's face because I've learned my lesson, but I really want to know that my child's in a safe, nurturing environment and having fun. And if not, I'm going to have to make some adjustments for Shay or Jordan or Lena or Tali or Joshua or Luca, right? I, if anybody came to me and said, I'll just stay out of the learning process, I'd tell them to, you know what? I'm like, you stay out of the learning process. This is my child. My wife gave birth to this child. You think we're going to just turn them over to any sort of nonsense? No, you take good care of them and we'll support and have baked the brownies to make the fundraiser. And I don't know, we'll make spaghetti on Wednesdays now that I'm a parent. But when I coach, I'm responsible for the parents. And when I'm a parent, I'm responsible for my children. Okay, last one from Lee Cosgrove. Uh, hey, Lee. Hey. Lee. This is one I know. <laughs> uh, he's asking you. Trouble. I, you might as well finish on this one because this one could put me to the test. No, it's a pretty safe one. He's asking you just about, about a mentor, um, person you, you talk to or look for towards inspiration. You know, I, I always think you have these kind of, you know, um, inspirational leaders that you will have never have met like a Maria Montessori or someone uh, in any, it doesn't matter what field, it doesn't matter what names I give you. So I always think there's different levels of inspiration. There's inspiration from the annals of history, Shakespeare and others and characters within plays and movies and artists and dancers that you'll never meet, that you have no capacity or reason to meet, but you have admiration for the way that they conducted their life. So that's one level of mentor, people that really aren't in your life, but I think they've been really important to me, authors that I've read um, people that I've admired, athletes that I've seen that I have no business speaking with because they're long gone. So that's one level. And then you have the mentors that are your may get to meet, people that you admire that are out in the field, you know, like, you know, a conversation I have, I'm lucky to have with a Doug Lamov or a John O'Sullivan from Changing the Game Project or Gary. We've had, you know, several conversations or Dan Abrams or Sky, you mentioned, I mean, other coaches in addition to coaches from here, Barcelona. Those are people that are peripherally in your life and you have an opportunity to check in once or twice a year, but they still inspire you because you keep up on them. And then I think this is one that we all need, our mentors that are in our lives daily, that keep us I don't know if they're mentors in the hierarchical relationship, but let's say mentors in that they keep us on track. 
those can be children. My children keep me on track. They allow me to maintain perspective when I go off the rails. My wife will just, you know, beat me into submission on track because she's smarter than I am and she's has a greater perspective on so many things that I don't. So I don't know if those are mentors by a traditional definition, but they're people that maybe they're, I don't know what you call them. You have to come up with new, they're people that keep the guardrails up. Now, and I'll share this story to conclude, you know, because I'm not a famous person. I never played football at the highest echelons of football for sure. And as I said, there's smarter people in every walk of life, including football than I am. But I always remember when I met Johan, we, we spoke about this and uh, Danny, his wife, who's fortunately with us still um, here in Barcelona, she wore his garters. Like they say in Holland, do normal. Be like, just be normal. Like don't let all of this fame, which he had a lot of get to your head. So when you have friends, and family members and children that force you just to stay in line with what you should be, your most humble and noble self, whatever that is to you, those people to me are also mentors. Maybe that's not the right word by definition, but they're the people that keep me in the guardrails safe and on path. So I would say there's three levels, the ones I'll never meet, but from whom I take inspiration, the ones that I mentioned and others that I'm lucky to converse with on occasion, and follow their work, and then the people in my daily life that make sure that I don't go off the rails. That's how I would, in my own mind, delineate what's important for, I, I would say, each of us to have at some level in our lives. And I'm appreciative that I've had that my entire life. Fantastic, fantastic. Nice way to finish it. Todd, thank you so much. I have, uh, I've got your book on the list after I'm finished Van Basten, and we'll move on to your good self. So I should be done around uh, Christmas Eve. Great. Well, listen, Marco's is going to be a little bit longer than mine. You got two cups of coffee and uh, and about two hours and you, you'll probably, you got it. No, I'm excited. I'm excited here. And, and uh, thank you so much for coming on and thanks so much. You've, you inspire a lot of people. So I know everyone's really, really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll be definitely, we've, we've put the link up for them as well. So hopefully everyone's going to go and get a copy. And by the time they're finished it, we'll be, a couple of them will be going seeing you in person as well. Yeah, well, listen, I want to thank you again and to your listeners. As I said, I, I, under no circumstances do I want to suggest that there's any more wisdom in, in, in uh, my body than theirs or my brain than theirs. It's just this dialogue that you foster, Gary, to be honest, you and others like you that foster that that allows us to learn from one another. So, I, you know, I couldn't be more delighted to speak with your listeners and, and answer questions, but also to learn from you and others that bring on these great guests. So uh, thanks so much. And again, this is football, but most importantly, you know, take care of your loved ones and we'll get it right in 2021. Brilliant. Brilliant. Be safe, Todd. Have a great Christmas. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernin on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.